Well, we started a new series this summer called Summer Gospel Nuggets last week. And if you remember last week, we looked at the calm and the storm from Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 7 this morning, verses 36 to 50. And we're going to call that the perspective of forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, your copy of the Word of God, I ask that you join us there in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And we will read the Word of God here very soon. I'm going to ask you a question before we do that. Did you ever have a wrong perspective about something? Everyone knows what a perspective is. It's sort of a point of view that you have based on your understanding of something. I'm going to read a story here that I may have read before, but humor me if I have. It's, it's still a, quite a humorous story. It's about perspective. I'm going to read the story verbatim. It says, this actually did happen to a real person, and the real person is me. Again, not me, but the person writing it. He said, I had gone to catch a train. This was April 1976 in Cambridge, UK. I was a bit early for the train. I had gotten the time of the train wrong. I went to get myself a newspaper and do the crossword and grab a cup of coffee and a packet of cookies. I went and sat at a table. I want you to picture the scene. It's very important that you get this clear in your mind. Here's the table, newspaper, cup of coffee, packet of cookies. There's a guy sitting opposite of me, perfectly ordinary looking guy wearing a business suit, carrying a briefcase. It didn't look like he was going to do anything weird. What he did was this. He suddenly leaned across, picked up the packet of cookies, tore it open, took one out, and ate it. Now this, I have to say, is the sort of thing the British are very bad at dealing with. There's nothing in our background, upbringing, or education that teaches you how to deal with someone who in broad daylight has just stolen your cookies. You know what would have happened if this had been South Central Los Angeles? There would have been very quickly gunfire, helicopters coming in, CNN, you know, the whole gamut. But in the end, I did what any red-blooded Englishman would do. I ignored it, and I stared back at my newspaper, took a sip of coffee, tried to do a clue in the newspaper, and couldn't do anything. And I thought, what am I going to do? <laughs> in the end, I thought nothing for it. I'll just have a go for it. And I tried very hard not to notice the fact that the packet of cookies was already mysteriously opened. I took a cookie for myself, and I thought that settled him. But it hadn't, because a moment or two later, he did it again. He took another cookie. Having not mentioned it the first time, it was somehow even harder to raise the subject the second time around. Excuse me, I couldn't help but notice. I mean, it doesn't really work at that point. We went through the whole packet like this. When I say the whole packet, I mean there were only about eight cookies, but it felt like a lifetime. He took one, I took one, he took one, I took one. Finally, when we got to the end, he stood up and walked away. We exchanged meaningful looks, he walked away, and I breathed a sigh of relief and sat back down. A moment, of two, a moment or two later, the train was coming in, so I tossed, bas tossed back the rest of my coffee. I stood up, I picked up the newspaper, and underneath the newspaper was my packet of cookies. <laughs> he says, the thing I like particularly about this story is the sensation that somewhere in England there has been wandering around for the last quarter century a perfectly ordinary guy who has the exact same story but has no punchline. <laughs> Perspective, right? We all have a unique perspective based on our understanding of things. I know you guys have felt this way before in your life. Have you ever been sick for a long stretch of time? Ever had a really bad cold or sinus infection or a flu or something that kept you down? You guys know recently I was dealing with back spasms. And when you're sick, you have a perfect perspective of what it is to be healthy. I mean, that is the first thing you want on your mind is that I want to be healthy once again. Unfortunately, though, when you're healthy, you take that for granted a lot. So when I was dealing with these back spasms, the only thing I had in my mind for, for several days was I just want to get healthy again. I just want to feel good. I just want my back to be strong. I want people to be able to rely on me and to be able to do my job properly. 
And that is another perspective. That is a perspective we often have when we're sick about being healthy. But sometimes we don't have that perspective when we're healthy. And we're going to look at a perspective today. I'm going to read the Word of God now. It's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And I want you to hear the Word of God. It says in verse 36, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, she was rec- when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when a Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. He said, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time she came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven you. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm just going to simply walk us through this story because it's quite an interesting story about perspective. The perspective of forgiveness is the title of our lesson today. Hello, Pastor Mel. And we're going to look through this story. I want you to look at this like it is a story, like it is a play, like it is something that is being told. We love stories, right? I love narratives in the Word of God because it illustrates what's going on um, in the mind of God, in the mind of those around God. And so the story here we have begins with a very unusual setting. We have a Pharisee named Simon who invites Jesus over to his house for, for dinner. And Jesus accepts the invitation. But if you know anything about the, uh, the relationship between Pharisees and Jesus, they were often embroiled in conflict, weren't they? Often engaged in religious and doctrinal conflict. And the Pharisees did not like Jesus. They did not like Jesus, most Pharisees. Not to mention that most of the Pharisees not only didn't like Jesus, they didn't accept of who he actually was, what he said about himself. So this is a very unusual scene because Jesus is willing to go to the, uh, Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner and engage in con- conversation and talking in a non-threatening environment. And it seems from the beginning, if you're looking right at the beginning of the tale, like maybe we have this rare Pharisee who is willing to engage and listen to Jesus, learn from Jesus, and maybe even follow Jesus. At least that's our hope from the beginning of the story. But unfortunately, that is not the way the story is going to go, because a a person is going to enter the scene here now who is going to sort of change the entire course of our story here. And the person who comes in is a woman, a notoriously sinful woman. It looks like most likely she is a prostitute. There are some who believe this is Mary Magdalene, but there's not a lot of support for that, so I can't say that with any confidence. But a notoriously sinful woman comes in, 
and she is going to do something that is sort of going to turn this tail up on its head. Are the slides working, by the way? There we go. Just catch you guys up here. So this woman comes in, and hears that Jesus is dining at the Pharisee's house. And so she simply wants to come in and worship Jesus while she has the opportunity to do so. I mean, the window of opportunity is there to love Jesus. And so she simply wants to come in quietly, humbly, worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to make the obvious conclusion that this isn't the first opportunity she's had to be around Jesus. She must have been around Jesus before. She definitely knows who Jesus is and that he's obviously done something very profound for her because she has a very tender affection for Jesus. And once she hears Jesus is in town, she goes and brings what's called an alabaster flask of ointment. I want you to picture like a big perfume vase. She brings that in with her because she's going to use it with Jesus. She brings this alabaster flask of ointment along with her. And in the day, it was customary to anoint a dignitary with oil as a sign of their great worth. It was also part of the Old Testament system to practice to anoint someone who was chosen by God for a very important role. And Jesus is both. He's a dignitary. He's someone of great worth upon the earth. And he's also the most important person according to God's will and plan. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. So Jesus is a dignitary of the highest order. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And he is also the Christ, the Lamb of God. If anyone was worthy of such treatment, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. So this woman comes into where Jesus is at the table. And she stands behind him at his feet. And I want you to picture that this table is most likely raised off the ground a little bit. Because she comes in and she stands at the feet of Jesus. So she is standing and Jesus is sitting down at the table, most likely on a stage or a platform or something like that next to the table. And this is important to know because it reveals this woman's humility. She comes in and she stands behind Jesus' feet. She does not come right up to him. She does not interrupt what is going on. She comes behind him and is simply going to worship him quietly, reverently, in total submission and humility. She also, because of her past lifestyle, we're going to find out she is a notoriously sinful woman, she is probably humiliated by her reputation. She does not want anything to soil Jesus and what he's doing there. So she is going to simply come up behind him, worship him, and make sure it's all about Jesus. She knows she's not worthy to approach Jesus, but she's not there to be recognized. She's not there to be praised. She's only there to humbly worship her Savior. And this is a really important context. This sets the stage for everything that's going to happen. Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house. The woman, the sinful woman, enters and begins worshiping Jesus. And at this point, she starts to sort of fall apart because she starts to weep. Weep. Have you ever wept so hard that there are significant tears? We have to understand that this woman is not weeping because she's sad. On the contrary, she's weeping because she's glad. She's happy. She's so overjoyed. She's weeping significant tears. And as she's weeping, she's taking the tears that are falling from her eyes and she's moistening the feet of Jesus. Because in the day, they didn't have shoes like we would wear today. They would, would, have, would have worn sandals. And their feet would have gotten very dirty. The paths would have been lined with dust and dirt. And the feet of Jesus at this point were probably very dirty. So she's coming in and she's weeping at the feet of Jesus. And she's using her tears to sort of clean the feet of Jesus. Not only that, she's taking her hair and wiping the feet of Jesus clean. So imagine these dirty feet getting all, all that dirt and grime and dust in her hair. She's cleaning and wiping off the feet of Jesus. 
This is an amazing act of worship because she is putting herself at the lowest level in order to worship Jesus. This is such an act of humility. She must have looked entirely ridiculous to everyone there who was at the dinner table. But her only concern is Jesus. Her only concern is showing love to him. After she wipes his feet with her hair, she then begins to take out this ointment ointment that she brought with her, and she begins to kiss the feet of Jesus repeatedly. And then she takes this expensive perfume, this expensive ointment, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. I mean, try to picture this scene. This woman standing behind Jesus, just falling apart, worshiping him with great humility, great sacrifice, because this is expensive ointment, great sacrifice to her own dignity, And she is there just simply because she wants to love Jesus. Do we get this picture? Do we understand what's going on? She is doing everything possible to show Jesus love and worship him at the expense of her own dignity and the loss of her precious ointment. So it's obvious to conclude that this woman loves Jesus, loves him. And she's had a great debt paid off by him. And this is happening at Simon's house, remember. Remember where this is happening. Remember the context and the stage of where we are set here. This is not at her house. This is not somewhere in, in public. This is at Simon the Pharisee's house. Simon is sitting here along with maybe other Pharisees, other friends of Simon's, and they're taking in this entire scene. So let's go back to our story because our story began with Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. And Simon, again, is watching this entire thing happen right before him. And he knows who this woman is. I'm guessing everyone knows who this woman is because she had a notorious, sinful lifestyle, probably once again a prostitute. And they're seeing this scene unfold, which must have looked ridiculous to them for a couple primary reasons. Number one, Simon didn't believe Jesus was a prophet. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah sent from God. So he wouldn't have believed that Jesus was deserving of such treatment. That's number one, the reason he would have looked ridiculous in Simon's eyes. Number two, this woman was of ill repute. She was not of high regard. This woman was a notoriously sinful woman. She was not the sort of person that Simon believed any godly person should be hanging around with. So there's two reasons. He didn't consider Jesus worthy, and he didn't consider this woman worthy to do that to anybody. And you have to remember that Jesus, by this point, had not only called himself godly, but God. Jesus had referred to himself as the only begotten Son of God. So here we have two characters. We have Simon the Pharisee. We have the notoriously sinful woman, and they're both acting very differently towards Jesus. And then Simon does something. Simon scoffs, or he mumbles under his breath. Those with children will know what this is like, right? You ever had your child mumble under their breath something? (laughs) My children do this from time to time. It's like they want to say something in a passive-aggressive way, but they don't want to say it so forthright that they get in trouble. So they sort of say something as they leave the room, and you hear it. And that's sort of what Simon does. Simon scoffs and mumbles under his breath. And he says this phrase, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. In other words, no true prophet would let such a sinful woman in his presence, let alone be able to worship him like this. Simon didn't think she was worthy, and he didn't think Jesus was a prophet, let alone the Christ or the Lamb of God. So Simon has completely lost sight of one detail here. 
This woman is not a sinner any longer. We know that she has encountered Jesus by this point, and Jesus has completely forgiven, saved her, redeemed her from her sins by his precious blood. Now, Simon doesn't have that perspective, but that's exactly what has happened. Jesus has redeemed this woman, has forgiven this woman, has restored this woman. This woman is not what she used to be. But I want to contrast the two primary characters here besides Jesus, because it's really important to this story here for us to see the polar opposite of these two characters. Because first we have Simon. Simon's resume. Let's look at Simon's resume here for a moment. Simon was a devout religious leader of the old Jewish Testament system. So he would have been one that would have carried out the letter of the law according to the old religious ways. Simon was also very pious and would have been very highly regarded because of, he was a prominent Pharisee. He was someone that people would have looked up to. People would have respected. People someone would have considered of high religious regard. So Simon would have been looked up to and respected because of who he is. But Simon also rejected Jesus. Rejected him as the Messiah. Rejected him as a prophet. Didn't consider him anything important beyond just an entertaining house guest. And most likely, based on his rejection of Jesus, he was not forgiven from his sins because he didn't consider himself in need of it. He didn't think he was in need of forgiveness. He didn't think he needed cleansing. And that's going to be a stark contrast to the woman. Simon, too, was judgmental towards Jesus. Judgmental toward the Christ because he didn't consider that any godly person should be around a sinner like this. So in the moment, he's judging the Lord Jesus Christ with his words and his speech. And then on the, on the same side, in the same regard, probably putting himself on the scale of righteousness, saying God, the Lord Jesus Christ would not, should not do such a thing if he was really the prophet, really the Messiah. But I myself am a righteous religious leader. His perspective is completely messed up. He is proud. He is not humble. He is not teachable. That is who Simon is dealing with at this very moment. Jesus is dealing with at this very moment. Simon is a Pharisee, but he is a proud, proud man. He does not have the perspective of forgiveness. Why does he invite Jesus over? We don't know. We have to assume just because he was curious or he wanted to be around someone who was popular. Maybe he wanted to boast to his friends that I had Jesus over last night and I was able to listen to his amazing stories and you know, sarcasm, of course, telling them of how great the experience was about being around Jesus. But Simon is proud. He's not teachable. He's not humble. Now let's look at the woman, the prostitute. She is on the complete opposite scale of Simon. She's a worldly woman. She's notorious for her sinful lifestyle and her practices. People knew who she was. And they looked down on her because of who she was. She was disregarded by others. Simon was looked up at. This woman was looked down at. She may have even been spit at or near because of her practice of prostitution. This prostitution practice, back in the day at least, was such a disgrace that these people could have been stoned for it. So imagine this woman and her reputation amongst town and town members. She was looked down upon. But here's what separates this woman from Simon in a really big detail. She believed in Jesus. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And this is what really separates her from the Pharisee Simon. Because she believed, she was also forgiven from all of her sins, which were many. 
If you had to sit down with a calculator and calculate this woman's sins, you wouldn't be able to. It would be on calculation. And she knew that. But because of her faith in Christ, all of her sins were forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Every one of her sins, it's, 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 a, it's as if they never happened. It's as if she never practiced a sinful lifestyle, as if she never did anything evil. And she now has a perspective of forgiveness. So at this moment, she has one concern. Her concern, her primary singular concern, is loving and worshiping Jesus. It's so pure. She simply thinks in her mind, I want to love him because of what he's done for me. Do we think that way? Do we think that way with Jesus? If we've been forgiven from our sins, is that the thought in our mind from sun up to sundown? I want to love him. If he's done that for me, I want to love him. Because you can't calculate my sins either. And I'm sure we can't calculate yours. And if Jesus has forgiven your sins, then all of your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Your sins, which were crimson stained, have been washed whiter than snow. So this woman has one thought, one intention. Not to be seen, not to be recognized, not to get in the way or disrupt what is going on. I simply want to love my Savior for all he's done for me. And on the contrast between the Simon the prophet, or Simon the prophet, excuse me, Simon the Pharisee, too many P words here, she is very humble. She's very humble, and she doesn't consider herself worthy to even stand in front of Jesus. Do you see the difference between the two people? One, a prominent Pharisee, one highly regarded, one who was very religious and very righteous in his own mind, but also rejected Jesus, didn't need forgiveness from Jesus, didn't need Jesus to do anything for him, didn't do anything for Jesus. But then we have the woman disregarded, looked down upon, but knows her need, knows what she needs before God and recognizes her need for forgiveness. And then once she has the forgiveness, recognizes how important it is to return love back to Jesus. So I told you that Simon scoffed. He mumbles under his breath this phrase, saying, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let this kind of woman near her. And Jesus reads the thoughts of Simon's heart at this moment. I don't know if he actually heard the phrase or if he just read the thoughts of Simon, but he heard what Simon said. And he says this in, in, in response to Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. And Jesus uses a parable to speak truth into the heart of Simon, to hopefully speak truth into the heart of Simon. And this parable is sort of a made-up story. It's sort of a story just to illustrate what Jesus wants to say. And so he's going to tell a little story, a little tale to Simon to sort of illustrate what's going on. And in this, in this parable that Jesus is going to tell, there's a creditor. We know what creditors are, right? We have creditors in our day and age. If you have a mortgage or a car loan, or a student loan, or lots of credit cards, you have what's called a creditor. Well, in this story, there's a creditor, and this creditor has two debtors. Both the debtors are the same. They cannot pay back their debt. But one of the debtors owes 50 denarii. I don't know exactly what that translates to today, but we're going to say it's about $5,000. And the other guy, the other debtor, owes 500 denarii. And we're going to say, according to today's standards, it's $50,000. And in this parable, both guys cannot pay back their debt. So they seek out the creditor for mercy, and the creditor has mercy on both debtors and completely cancels both debts, the 5000 and the 50000 So they're both the same. They both have a debt. 
They both have been forgiven from their debt, but one debt is much larger than the other debt. So Jesus asked Simon a question based on the parable. He says, Simon, now which of them will love the creditor more? And Simon says, the one, I suppose, who had the larger amount forgiven. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly, Simon. He who is forgiven the most will love the most. And that's exactly what he's going to say for the rest of his time here. Because Jesus turns to the woman. And he contrasts her with Simon. And he says this to Simon. He says, the woman came into my house. She stood at my feet. She wet my feet with her tears. She wiped my feet with her hair. She kissed my feet repeatedly. And she anointed my my feet with ointment. The woman is the one in the parable who had $50,000 canceled. And then he contrasts the woman with Simon and says, Simon, I came into my house And you didn't kiss me on the cheek, which would have been customary. It would have been customary of simply showing common courtesy, kind of like we do when we greet each other. We give hugs, we give handshakes. It's customary. Simon didn't even kiss Jesus on the feet, on the, excuse me, on the cheek when he walked in. Didn't even show him common courtesy. He also didn't anoint Jesus' head with oil, which again was customary for showing respect to a dignitary, someone who was of value and of worth. Simon didn't kiss him on the cheek. He didn't anoint his head with oil. In other words, Simon didn't think much of Jesus beyond an entertaining house guest. But Jesus makes a couple conclusions based on what he's witnessed here. The woman who was notoriously sinful was forgiven all of her sins by the precious blood of Jesus. And this woman knew that she had been forgiven so much by her Lord that she had a perspective of forgiveness. She goes up to Jesus' feet, she bows down, she worships him, she gives him her ointment, she gives him her dignity, she gives him her love. And then on the other hand, we have Simon, a devout religious leader. This is so ironic. Simon's the religious one. He's the pious one. Simon is the one who would have told other people how to live righteously. And he didn't consider Jesus anything of value. And he didn't consider himself much of a sinner at all, let alone someone who needed forgiveness from this so-called Messiah. And Simon's actions matched his lack of perspective of forgiveness. Do you understand the tale? So we have the woman showing much love to Jesus. She has a perfect perspective of her forgiveness. The Simon, the, the uh, Pharisee, has no idea that he has any sin to forgive. And he's showing a lack of love to Jesus. And that's exactly what the parable was there to illustrate. And Jesus says this phrase to the woman, Your sins are forgiven you. And I believe by this time it was already the case. I think she had already been forgiven by Jesus. I think what she was showing to Jesus that day was a validation of the forgiveness she had already received. I don't think she came getting forgiveness by the love she showed Jesus. I think Jesus had completely forgiven her based on his own mercy and grace, because that's what I see in Scripture. Jesus saves us based on his own mercy, his own grace, his own love. And I believe by this time this woman had experienced such forgiveness that she came in as a validation of that forgiveness, simply to love Jesus. Jesus did not say this phrase, your sins are forgiven to Simon, because his actions also validated that he was yet forgiven. He didn't love Jesus, and it proved that he was still in his sins, because those who have been forgiven their sins have a perspective of forgiveness, and that perspective of forgiveness causes them to love the Lord. 
Everyone who's at the table witnessing this marvels at the fact that Jesus seemingly has the authority to forgive sins. And this is the way Jesus ends the story. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You're cleansed. You're healed. You're forgiven. You're brand new. Live new. Live for new things. Have new confidence. Have new hope. Have new peace. You're forgiven. It's validated by your actions of love today. You see, this story at its heart is all about the perspective of our need for forgiveness. Whether Simon was less of a sinner than the woman, we don't really know. But in Simon's eyes, he didn't consider himself to have a great debt of sin towards God. He just didn't. And because of that, he showed so much disdain to God's only begotten Son. Therefore, not worshiping Jesus nor showing him special love revealed Simon's lack of belief and his remaining cold heart. The woman, however, knew her sinfulness before God, and her actions of humble worship towards Jesus validated the fact that she knew she had a great debt released from her. I want to read you a quote that I found from Matthew Henry. This is what he said. He said, Whether our debt be more or less, it is more than we are able to pay. We have nothing at all to pay it with. Silver and gold will not pay our debt, nor will sacrifice an offering. No, not thousands of rams. No righteousness of our own will pay it. No, not our repentance and obedience for the future, for that is what we are already bound to. But it is God that works forgiveness within us. Amen? Amen. Just like this story teaches us, our actions in life validate our heart or love towards Jesus. Because we know from Scripture, everyone is a sinner. Everyone has fallen short of God's standard of righteousness. Isn't that true? Everyone is on the same standard according to God. God has a standard of righteousness that none of us can meet. I want you to look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what it says. And you, speaking to all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you see that? Do you see that we're all equally sinful? By nature, all of us are equally awaiting damnation, unless we find a savior, unless we find forgiveness. Every single person Simon, the prostitute, and everyone in between is in need of forgiveness, is in need of God's great grace, is in need of God's salvation. Because we're all, we all have warranted hell from God. There may be degrees of sinners in the realm of public in-your-face sin, like prostitutes, murderers, rapists, thieves, that have hurt countless people and their reputation is forever soiled in the eyes of man. But even those who stay on the religious side of things have naturally darkened hearts. And those hearts are not hidden from the Lord, meaning every single person is in need of God's great forgiveness. Simon was included in that. Romans 6.23 teaches us the sobering doctrine that the wages of sin is death. Isn't that sobering? The word wages means paycheck, what you're owed. If you come to God on the last day, what you are owed, what your paycheck would be, would be death. 
because of your sins. That's exactly what you're owed from God. All sin, every sin, warrants a spiritual death in hell. Can we consider that today? Can we consider that one sin against an eternally thrice holy God is enough for him to cast us into outer darkness for all of eternity? It's the exact same standard for every person. God is fair. God is just. God is holy. Everyone who sins against him is on the same playing field. We're all sinners. We're all in need of forgiveness and salvation. If that is true, then why are there degrees of devotion and love to Jesus? Like, why was there Simon who was showing no love to Jesus? Why was there a woman who was showing great love to Jesus? Why are there degrees of people showing love and, and devotion and service to Jesus? Why is that? Don't we all have the same perspective of forgiveness, or shouldn't we? Let us consider the amount of sin we must have accrued against the Lord, okay? Just for a moment. Have we ever loved the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength like God has asked us to? Have we ever had an evil thought or intention? Have we ever acted selfishly? Have we ever had an evil thought or intention towards those who God loves? Ever said something mean about someone that God loves? Have we ever been angry and hated someone? Ever lied to make ourselves look better? Ever coveted something that wasn't ours? Ever lusted after someone that wasn't our spouse? Ever took the Lord's precious name in vain? Have we ever had a wrong priority of who we are here to serve? Has God ever been knocked down from number one in our lives? If you would say yes to that and so much more, consider the amount of sinful debt that we owe to God. If Simon could have considered that that day, don't you believe he would have had a perspective of forgiveness? Can we pay back what we owe to God with anything less than a godless eternity in hell. We cannot, unless there is a payment made for us. And I need us to consider that today, because that is really grave. That's really heavy to think about. We are all by nature sinners. We are all by nature have warranted God's separation and God's punishment in hell. And if we could be honest with that today, let us consider that, is God really that against sin? Maybe he's not. Maybe God isn't that much against sin. Maybe he's too gracious and too merciful to actually send anyone to hell. We know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to, to earth, right? That's what John 3.16 says. Jesus came to earth because God sent him. And why did God send him? What was the primary culmination of Jesus' work upon the earth? Death. Wasn't it death? Isn't the reason Jesus came to die? And why did Jesus have to die? Because God is so against sin. Someone had to pay the debt for sinners. If that debt was not going to be paid by Jesus, we, every single one of us, were going to pay our own debt in hell because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came to die a horrible, bloody, creative mockery of an execution. For what purpose? For the payment of our sins. Because the wages of sin is death. And if we were going to be spared, Jesus was not going to be spared. Because we had to have a full payment of our debt to God. Because God detests sin. It's against everything that he is. Sin cannot go unpunished. 
Sin cannot go unpaid. Sin has to be paid for before the thrice holy God. And in the parable that Jesus shared here, Jesus is the creditor. He's the creditor. Whether Simon or the prostitute was the one with 500 denarii or 50 denarii, I don't know. But Jesus is the creditor and he came to cancel the debt of both. Simon could have found forgiveness that day. Simon could have found forgiveness if he would have owned up to his sin and said to Jesus, I too am in need of forgiveness, Jesus. He could have found forgiveness because the creditor in the parable was willing to forgive the debts. Of course, we know that Jesus didn't commit even one sin or have one evil intention or thought while he was on the earth. He always did the will of God. But when Jesus stepped on the cross, he faced the full wrath of God against our God because of our sins. And those sins that he paid for is our salvation today. And I hope we're making sense of this. Was Simon less deserving of God's wrath and punishment than the sinful woman? Of course he was not. He was not. Unless Simon repented and turned to Jesus, he is going to have to pay for every one of his sins in hell. And so will we if we do not turn to Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the only Savior of the world. He is a gracious and merciful Savior of the world. He is able to take our sins and pay for them with his precious blood. That's why he came. It says in John 3, 17, he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He came to pay off the debts of sinners. Do we need to turn to Jesus today? Do we have the perspective of forgiveness that the prostitute had? That we know what we owe to God. We know what Jesus came to do and we need that forgiveness. Do we have that perspective? Because the story teaches us about what we believe to be true about Jesus and ourselves. If someone is sold out to Jesus in love, devotion, obedience, and worship, it proves they have the proper perspective of their need for forgiveness, like the woman. You know who had the perspective? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the Church of Christ. He, too, was a prominent Pharisee, looked upon, highly regarded, but he hated the Lord Jesus. He hated Christians, and he did all he could to lock up Christians, to get them thrown into jail, and to have them executed. And then he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what the Lord Jesus Christ did for Paul? He canceled his debt. He healed him of his sins. He removed his sins as far as the east is from the west. And you know what happened when Paul found that out? His perspective was forever changed. And he said this in Philippians 1, 18 to 21. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you see Paul's perspective? Do you see what Paul understood? He understood what a great debtor he was to God because of his sin, and he understand that Jesus paid that debt. Jesus willfully stood on the cross for Paul's sins, and he paid the debt. And because of that debt being canceled, Paul's perspective was forever changed, and he said, with full courage, now as always, Christ, I want him to be honored in my body, whether life or death. I want for my life to be summed up by Jesus Christ, plain and simple. If some are lukewarm today, going through the motions and void of true heartfelt obedience, 
and worship towards Jesus, it reveals that we don't have the proper perspective of our need of forgiveness. We either, don't, we either don't consider ourselves having warranted God's wrath for our sins, or we don't consider that God is that holy or that much against sin, like Simon. But going back to the parable, what would have been the result of the two people who couldn't pay off their debts? Whether it was $5,000 or $50,000, back in the day they would have thrown them in, into what was called debtor's prison. And you went into debtor's prison until your debt was fully paid off. So what would happen to the two people back in the parable if they didn't have their debt paid? Both of them would have been thrown into debtor's prison. And what would be the case for a sinner who has sinned against God in private in their hearts versus a bold, in-your-face prostitute? Wouldn't both warrant eternal separation from God in hell? The answer is yes. Both. And now we come to the point of the story. The point of the story is in verse 47. Jesus says to the woman, based on her actions, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. See, the Christian life is all about love from start to finish. It's all about love. The two greatest overarching commandments God gave us are all about love. It says, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourselves. Who was on the side of love that day? Simon or the prostitute? The woman was, wasn't she? The woman was the one loving Jesus. The woman was the one humbly, faithfully, losing her dignity, losing her ointment, so as to worship and serve and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are these commandments our duty, but they also serve as validation for what has actually transpired in our heart and mind. If we get at love, if we spend our lives loving, we have a perspective of forgiveness. Because why else would we do that? Why else would we spend our days and spend our time and spend our, our years loving God and loving others? Why would we do that? Because we have a perspective of forgiveness. And why wouldn't we? Why would we spend our days chasing our dreams, chasing our desires, chasing whatever makes us happy, and neglecting to love the Lord, and neglecting to love our neighbor, because we have no perspective of forgiveness. And if we don't have that perspective of forgiveness today, we need to take a long, hard look into our heart, into our mind, and into our soul, and we need to see what God sees. When our heart, our blackened heart, is laid next to his eternal moral law, it falls way short. You see, the opposite of love is pride and judgmentalism. And that's exactly what Simon displayed that day. Pride. Judgmentalism. Not love. Not worship. Not affection. Not tenderness. Pride. Judgmentalism. He revealed his heart was still dirty. But the woman had a constant reminder of her previous state of filth. Why? Probably because in the eyes of men her reputation was forever soiled. God had forgiven her her sins, but imagine the woman walking around town and people looking at her and disregarding her and spitting near her and wanting maybe to throw a stone at her because of her lifestyle. This woman knew who she was. This woman knew she had every single day a reminder of her previous state of filth. And every day she must have considered what she deserved from God instead of what she actually got from God, which was grace and forgiveness 
and salvation. And I'm going to guess every single day it astonished her that she found love from God because she deserved the exact polar opposite. She deserved to be judged and damned for her sins. And she found God's grace and God's forgiveness. And I believe her perspective of forgiveness was validated by her loving actions towards the Lord. Once again, I don't think she got forgiveness by loving the Lord. I think she loved the Lord because she had been forgiven. And now it comes to us. If you can understand the story today and understand the contrast between the two characters, now it comes to us. Have we truly recognized our need for forgiveness? Have we? Have we recognized our need for salvation? Have we turned to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if we don't, we have to pay for our sins on our own on the last day. Have we recognized the great thing that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us? Have we recognized that Jesus picked up his cross and walked to Calvary and he let people mock him and reject him and blaspheme him and put nails in his hands and feet and whip him and scourge him and ridicule him while he hung there and died for sins that he didn't commit. Have we recognized our need for forgiveness? How are we worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus? Are we zealous or are we lukewarm in our love for him? Are we looking for opportunities to love Christ or are we looking to serve ourselves and chase worldly happiness? If so, we don't have a perspective of forgiveness. And therefore, maybe, maybe we haven't turned to Christ yet. Because if you know who you are and you know what Christ has done, you will have a perspective of forgiveness. And you will love the Lord with every bursting of your heart. Number two, can we remember what we've been saved from? I believe the woman had remembered. I think she probably remembered a lot for the course of her life who she was before God. If we're loving Christ little, I think it's because we believe we've been saved from little. Maybe you've been religious most of your life. Maybe you grew up with Christianity. Maybe you don't consider yourself that much in need of forgiveness like Simon. But once again, let us consider what our sinfulness would have warranted us if we would have to stand before God on the last day without Jesus. In your sins rejecting him, rejecting his son, and hating his people. If you stood before God without payment for your sins at judgment day, and for God's last phrase to say to you, you are damned forever because of your sinfulness and hatred towards me, my son, and my people. Depart from me into everlasting darkness. That needs to hit us today. I don't like speaking about such grave things, but that needs to hit us today. Because if that doesn't hit us, if we don't understand what that would have been like, if we stood before God on Judgment Day in our sins, we won't have the perspective of forgiveness. And that perspective is really valuable. It's really valuable because it causes us to love Jesus and to love God. Number three, maybe we need to rekindle the love we had for Christ at first when we did have that proper perspective of being forgiven. Because Christ is not asking for anything he's not worthy of. He simply wants the kind of worship, love, and obedience that is due to him because of all that he's done for us. He doesn't want anything beyond that. Give me what I'm worthy of. 
Love me the way you believe would be best if you knew what I've done for you. And you will love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what this woman was doing. She was loving Jesus every possible way she could find. With her heart, with her soul, with her mind, and with her strength. So what is Jesus worthy of? What is he getting from our lives? If we have been forgiven, what is Jesus getting from our lives today? Is he getting lukewarm, part-time, fill it in the nooks and crannies of my life type of love, or is he giving heartfelt affection, worship humbly before his feet? Jesus went to the cross to die a horrible death for sins he didn't commit, and he did that because he had a perspective of love towards his people. Jesus considered that the shedding of his blood was worth it for the salvation of the people that he created so that we wouldn't have to face eternal darkness and that we wouldn't have to face eternal punishment for our sins. So what is Jesus worthy of? Or what love is Jesus worthy of? Is he worthy of little love, like Simon gave him? Or much love, like the prostitute gave him? Do you and I have that perspective of forgiveness today? If all of us had that perspective, what do you think the church would be like today? If we all had the perspective of the woman today, what do you think the church would be like today? Wouldn't the church be on fire? Wouldn't this nation see Jesus? Wouldn't the churches in this world cry out in worship and surrender to Christ? See, if we love little or not at all, we have no perspective of forgiveness. And I think we need to take a hard, focused look at our Lord today. Take a look at Jesus and consider what he might be worth to our blackened souls. Or maybe, for the first time, look into your soul and say, maybe I haven't turned and trusted in Jesus yet. Because maybe today could be the day of your salvation. Maybe today can be the day you finally get the perspective of forgiveness. Because that's what God wants. God wants for you to turn to Christ and be saved for your debt to be white clean, for you to have a new heart, soul, and mind that can love God and love others. But you can't while you're in your sins. You just can't. And if you turn to sins, the mercy is swift. The grace is abundant. And his love is faithful. So will we love Christ much like the prostitute, regardless of the cost to us, Regardless of the lack of dignity we receive or the possible awkward feeling of loving him alone in the midst of dozens of others who don't, or will we love Jesus out of the outflow of our heart which bursts with joy for the salvation and forgiveness we have received from him? Jesus is worthy of much love. I hope and believe that we will take that to heart today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. I know it was... Heavy to hear, but Father, hopefully powerful to the soul. I hope that we will listen to the story today of Simon and the woman, and we will consider where we are, Father, in our perspective of forgiveness. Father, I hope that we will burst from our hearts and be like the woman who recognized her need for forgiveness, who got that forgiveness, and then who gave such joy, such love, such bursting, such worship to our Lord because of it. Father, set your heart the heart of your church on fire. Let us see Jesus in a brand new way today. Let us see the worth of Jesus to our souls. Father, if we're in our sins, if someone here hasn't turned to Jesus today, I pray that you would help them understand their need for forgiveness 
and that Jesus is ready and swift to forgive and show mercy because that's the exact reason he came to earth. Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ, and we give you all glory for everything that is good in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.